again, dear listener. This is the start of the show. Welcome to Find a Previously Recorded Evening of Storytelling and Otherwise. This episode took place on April 29th, 2019 at the Lido here in Vancouver, which is on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. You'll be hearing from some of the excellent lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, including DJ On, Angelica Paversky, Sharon Dollywall, and Kyla Jameson. And throughout the episode, you'll hear music from Man Eater, who you can find on iTunes and Bandcamp. The song we've started the show with is called These Days, from their self-titled album. And I am your host, Colton Wicky. To find out more about our upcoming live shows, please visit us at afineshow.com or follow us on the social medias at afineshow. Okay, let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. Up first is DJ On. He's a Chinese-Vietnamese comedian and musician whose comedic voice would best be described as out of breath. Here's DJ. Hi, I'm DJ. Um, this is what I look like. This is me. Um, before I like get into my material, I just want to talk about Laura Dern for a little bit because I'm a homosexual. But um, when Laura Dern portrayed Dr. Ellie Sattler in 1993's cinematic masterpiece Jurassic Park, she cemented her status as a gay icon. And I don't know why, I don't know why being a dinosaur doctor makes you a gay icon. But it just does. And I need you all to understand that before I like continue. Um, that is objective truth. Okay. Um, do I have any more housekeeping before I get into my set? I don't think so. Um, oh, okay, I will tell you all a little bit about my love life. Does everyone wanna hear about my love life? Okay, this is the part of my set where I talk about my love life. Um, I actually started seeing someone for the first time in like four years recently, um, two days ago, it marked a month, and I called it off today. I was like, hey, I'm doing this show, you should come out, and he was like, oh, I don't know if I'll make it, and then I was like, okay, but can I see you sometime this week? And then after two hours, he didn't respond, so I followed up with, I don't think I can do this anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I can be needy. Um, his name is Curtis. His name was Curtis. He's dead to me. Um, Curtis. 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 I, I just am not convinced that that is, like, the name of a human. Like... When I hear Curtis, I think, like, the anatomy of a cow. Um, I swear, I went to, like, a dairy farm one time, and the dairy farmer was, like, teaching us about cows, and he was like, 
this is the part of the, this is the Callus Curtis. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, that, 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 that's the Callus Curtis. Um, I am absolutely devastated about it, though. Um, I was spiraling for two hours on the phone. I was talking to my cousin. She's here. Um, I was talking to her. I was like, what do you think? Like, it's been a month, but, like, the past couple, like, the past week, um, he's been texting me less and less. It sounds like he doesn't want to hang out. Like, what do you think is going on? And then she was like, well, have you ever seen that movie... Maybe he's just not that into you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, girl, shut up. <laughs> like, that's not what I want to hear right now. Um, okay. But, okay, that, that's it. I, I wasn't going to talk about it, but then it happened today. So I felt like I just need to, like, air that out. And, like, maybe laughing at my misery will make me feel better. And I think I feel a little bit better. But, okay. Um, the show is about storytelling, so I'm going to tell a story. Um, I'm very new to comedy. I've started it like five months ago. Um, I was really inspired by like all these queer people of color that got into it. And I was like, yeah, I'm queer. I'm a person of color. I have things to say. I'm tired of all these, I'm tired of all these like cis, hetero, white guys talking about their genitalia all the time. <laughs> Fuck that noise. Um, so about my balls. <laughs> Um, a couple weeks ago, I felt like a lump on one of my testicles. I was so scared, I had to go get an ultrasound done on it, and I was freaking out because I was just so worried that, like, in the middle of the ultrasound, the person performing the ultrasound on me would be like, I'm sorry, sir, but it looks like you have an erection. <laughs> um, just because my dick can be a little bit of an over-enthusiastic gay genie. <laughs> you touch it a couple times and she's just like, hello, I'm here, let's do this. Um, that is a very good impression of my dick. <laughs> she does do a hair toss. I don't shave down there. Um, so I was in the waiting room to get the ultrasound done and I was freaking out. I was just like, please give me someone that I'm not attracted to. Give me a middle-aged white woman. Like, please, <laughs> just give me Barb. <laughs> but of course, I got hot gay Ethan. He comes up to me, he's like, hey, I'm hot gay Ethan. Immediately, I'm super shy, just like, oh my god, like, it's so weird meeting you this way. Like, do you come here often? Like. <laughs> Um, so Hotgate Ethan leads me into the examination room and he explains to me how it works. He says, okay, so in a minute, I'm going to leave the room. You're going to undress from the waist down. You're going to lie down on the examination table. On the examination table, there's a piece of paper. What you're going to do is you're going to take that piece of paper. You're going to cover your penis with it. Leave your scrotum out. I'm going to come back in. We'll get it started. I'm like, okay, cool. So he leaves the room. I'm so relieved that I get to cover my penis because, like, at least I get to, like, maintain this, like, level of mystique about myself <laughs> in this otherwise very, like, vulnerable position. The piece of paper is about this big, and I'm so flattered that he thinks that I need a piece of paper that big to cover up my penis with. And it's just like, wow, like, you reject Asian stereotypes. <laughs> like, that is so hot. I'm just getting more and more attracted to him as time goes on. 
So I lie down, cover my dick. He comes back in, and he starts the examination. And the entire time, I have to remind myself that life is not a porno. <laughs> he like takes the ultrasound gel, squeezes that onto my dick. I mean, on my balls. <laughs> on my balls. And then I have to tell myself, like, that is not lube. Like, don't get it twisted. He takes the ultrasound wand and like places that on my balls, and I'm just like, that, I have to tell myself, like, that is not a dildo. He's not teasing you with a dildo. <laughs> so the examination's happening, and I'm lying down, and I don't know what to do with my eyes. Like, am I supposed to close it and look like, like I'm enjoying it? Like, <sighs> so instead, I just lie there completely still, staring at the ceiling as if I've just been shot, and I'm waiting for the sweet <laughs> release of death. After what feels like 10 calendar months, <laughs> the examination is finally over. Hotgate Ethan explains to me, I'm gonna leave the room. You're gonna take that piece of paper, clean yourself off. You can leave the mess on the table. You can leave. I'm like, cool. So he leaves. I'm still lying there for some reason, feeling very cheap. I don't. Um, and then I get up, wipe myself off leave everything on the table, and before I leave the room, I take one last look at the table, and there's like all this crumpled paper and all this goo, and it looks exactly like we did have sex, but we didn't. And I'm really disappointed, but I've been very hopeful. Um, every day since that, the exam, I've been checking the Georgia Strait I saw use, <laughs> and like Craigslist misconnections. Like, hey, third testicle. <laughs> I'm into you. And um, yeah, I'm just like really like excited for a love story to get started. I've already started like adapting it for the screen. <laughs> but like just how like Hollywood, you need to like fluff up stories a bit. Um, mine is gonna be like a modern retelling of Cinderella. <laughs> like in Cinderella, all the women that want like a chance to marry the prince have to like subject themselves to a glass slipper test. But in my movie, all the thirsty gays of the village will have to subject themselves to an ultrasound on their balls. <laughs> um, I don't know why the prince in my movie performs ultrasounds. I haven't worked out the plot completely yet. But I've already like decided who's going to portray me in the movie. And I feel like everyone here in this room knows who I've already chosen to play me. And we can say this actor's name on three, because there's like no other actor who could play this. So one, two, three, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> she portrayed a Japanese cyborg woman. She wanted to portray like a trans man that was like three times her weight. And I think that like me, like a Chinese Vietnamese gay man, I am like her final form. Like, <laughs> She's like destined to play me. That's like the role that she wants. Um, that's it for me. Thanks. Next up is Angelica Paversky. She's a spoken word poet, interdisciplinary artist, and organizer. Her work is frequently situated between art, activism, and delight. She shared the stage with clowns, comedians, politicians, scientists, and rabbis. Here's Angelica. 
Hi, everybody. My name is Angelica. Hi. <laughs> you are so beautiful, all of you. <laughs> so, oh, thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. So I'm a poet, so I talk about my feelings professionally. It's very nice. Uh, so I'm going to do a bunch of poems for you. Uh, they're all around the th theme of uh, fuckboys. Has, has anyone heard of that before? <laughs> okay. okay, yeah, we, we know. We're, we're familiar. We're well acquainted. Um, yeah, so I have a long history of dating fuckboys, and it keeps happening. And I don't know, you, you know, once you start liking them, you just can't stop. I recently went out with this dude from the gym, and you know how that goes. I don't even have to tell the story, you know? It's like, yeah, he was from the gym. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, this poem is called How to Spot a Real Old Fuckboy from a real old fuckboy. A real old fuckboy compares wearing a condom to one million tiny lobsters eating his penis alive. An even realer old fuckboy compares wearing a condom to the pain of childbirth. A real old fuckboy doesn't believe in commitment or relationships or vaccination. A real old fuckboy vapes during sex. A real old fuckboy sends you pictures of his chest, his dick, and his poetry. <laughs> a real fuckboy has a gig tonight. Do you want to come? LOL, LOL. A real fuckboy has a crazy ex-girlfriend who cheated on him, so now he doesn't believe in labels. Except his own label. He calls himself a hashtag self-made, hashtag self-starter, hashtag content creator, hashtag entrepreneur, hashtag his mother makes his lunches. Oh, he's sad about the news today. Apparently some people died. It was too depressing to find out who or why, but he's sad though. So he deserves a blowjob or a promotion, <laughs> or a Pop-Tart. A real old fuckboy gets so, so sad. He's sad because you called him sexist, and that's the real sexism, you know? <laughs> a real fuckboy tries to make you thirsty, but instead he makes you so dehydrated, you get a UTI. So I started that poem being like, oh, I feel like sometimes I'm a fuck boy, you know what I mean? Like sometimes I go around, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna fuck that boy. Uh, so this is, uh, this is this poem, it's called, um, <clears throat> it's called, you know what? I can't compete with all the fuck boys to be a bigger, better fuck boy than all of them. That's, that's the title, okay. <laughs> so I load up Tinder like a hand grenade against a field of white boys. I pose with a picture of a dead fish and a small child because I am ready for the war. But I'm loving. I will love you just like I love small children and dead fish. My bio says, you up? 
with a capital P for patriarchy and two small U's because you don't matter as much as I do. I do. I don't do marriage, but I do do washboard abs and a red Mercedes. And are you wet already, baby? I will be your sugar daddy or just your daddy. As long as you can act like my mother, <laughs> because I don't know how to cook or clean, but I know how to fuck you up. <laughs> Once they love me, because they will, I will fuck them with my feminism until they jizz with their credit cards, until they orgasm believing in the wage gap, until they moan my name and also Alexandra Ocosia-Cortez. <laughs> they will stop running for presidents. They will work with us to end rape culture. They will take their golden teeth and sloth machine eyes and they will remove the pink tax. They will swallow their cat calls and call out their dude bros on their rape jokes and they won't call themselves hashtag woke. After I fuck and fuck boy all the Tinder fuck boys, I'll download Tinder again and again, and I'll swipe right, 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 woo! Sorry, that was only my soul. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and this is my last poem, it's a little more serious. Actually, I might do one more after this. We'll see how it goes. And then that might balance it out. But this poem I wrote because I fell in love with the fuckboy. Uh, I know, it's so sad. But uh, he was a poet and a feminist, hashtag feminist. Um, so this is, this is a poem about kind of that process of me being like, I want to be in a relationship with you. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so it's called Becoming. Also, if you feel compelled, you can snap along. Uh, you can scream. All of these things are very, very great. Um, okay, let's do it. Also, the other day I performed at this uh, Earth Day event, and I started the set <laughs> by being like, we live in a fascist colonial country! And then like 15 people left right away, so now I'm super like, I'm just, I, I know I have, you know what, I'm a feminist, I'm super, I'm super intense about all sorts of things always, so I'm always just like kind of cautious about that when I'm on stage too, I'm like, oh well, you know, I want, I want to have conservative fans. You know what I mean? Like we can, uh, we can work together. <laughs> um, so yeah, this poem is called "Becoming." It has nothing to. It's not political. It's okay. Um. My circus friend calls my anxiety suspense, but I say that it's hope, like a cruel timer, always waiting for this world and its juggler box of fuckery. I am the most impatient person in every room I'm in. And I walk in 40 minutes late, always ready for the confetti cannon, hoping for it to be now already, the big stage or the big love or the five foot eight blessing who will hold me like a blessing back to be close enough to touch just once. And so I lie awake in my childhood bed, a memorialized coffin of my old self and wonder if a five hour plane ride will manifest after months of imagination or if the promise of a ticket or goodness to those who wait, or years of hustle, always on the brink of something beautiful, will stay a hologram, hot for the time being. 
pretending to be grateful just for being a fish in a bowl, bruising for ocean, a hawk in a jar, a lion flapping in the body of an ostrich, a scream inside a quiet city. I'm confined to this map, fucking other people to feel something. I get split in half and never sewn back together with a spirit that's a wet cunt, overlapping myself, always desperate for a boundless future I can almost lick. And what if I always want more? More than Starbucks gift cards and handshakes as checks and blood that only knows my resume and my clothing size. What if I'm hungry my whole life? I swallowed a salad that tastes like a burger after flying through a city where the McDonald's was the same size as the mosque and I would feed my bite-sized belief holes fries and forgiveness. I'm a loud bitch in a quiet place munching on the unmanifested, falling in love through Facebook, chasing dreams behind email screens, always looking ahead. I suspend myself up, talking about how his skin feels, though I haven't touched him yet, describing colors that don't have names yet. I suspend myself up, so I must play in the sky, play the city inside out, until the ground begs for me back, until my soon is the crash and breath of now, until my alarm clock chest goes off with trombones and orgasms, and I realize I'm always in this painful dance of becoming. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I will, I will do one more, but before then, just because I mentioned Earth Day, uh, I actually also, um, for Earth Day, also performed at Science World for a bunch of children. And uh, that's it's always fun for me performing. I am actually part of this group. Uh, there's three of us, and we do uh, half burlesque, half drag, half comedy, uh, half just like, you know, I don't even know what it is. But anyways, we're, we're very like cheery, but we, we really are intense and do a lot of like weird erotica stuff. But for whatever reason, we always get booked for children's shows. So <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I've been doing this thing where I've been performing with scientists and children over and over again. I'm just like, this is my this is my life now. But anyways, I wrote these haikus for the kids the other day. And I was wondering if you could help me. And every time I say a haiku, you're like, ooh. Okay, okay let's try it. Okay, I did a haiku. Ooh. Okay, so these are all environmentalism themed for kids. Uh, <laughs> Token energy saving is a well-lit photo of a light switch turned super off. Ooh. Kinder Morgan, I cannot even begin to photosynthesize what you are saying. Ooh. Also for kids, if I turn off my toaster, will Trudeau pat me on the head and moan? Ooh. All right, thank you so much, thank you. <laughs> and uh, my, last, my last poem of the night. Uh, you know what, sometimes you have to look at your fuckboy in your life and be like, you were just an old future, you were just an old future and you are not part of my life anymore. So this is what this poem is. Old future looks so edible. Old future would cook for me because I'm too busy to eat. Old future hated my ex and would never treat me like that. Old future was a semicolon with a promise, a broken sentence, a breakup before a breakup, a stranger lit up pretty by the gas, Old Future said we'd fuck and marry and hold hands. And memories of Old Future still feel so good. 
Old Future's eyes are a lonely city I want out of now. I just want a clean fridge and the clothes under my bed to be in my closet and a memory that isn't bruised. I want to go to New York City and fuck a million new futures. And maybe then Old Future's dick pics will rot on my iCloud. And maybe then my hope will finally stop vibrating with wet smiles and blood. The snow will buzz and I will show my teeth. The pizza man will say, I look so happy. Angelica will say, I laugh instead of cry. A quiet grief will glitter my face like Lou. My pizza will be soggy and sparkling. And last night's will happen just like this. Thank you so much. I was Angelica. It was super fun to perform for you. Up next is Sharon Dollywall. She's the London-based editor-in-chief of Burnt Roti magazine, a platform created to give South Asians a voice while breaking stigmas around mental and sexual health. She's a writer with bylines in The Guardian, Broadly, and ID magazine, where she talks primarily about culture and sexual identity. Here's Sharon. Hi, everyone. Um, hi, thank you. <laughs> um, I actually just landed in Vancouver a few hours ago. Um, and I just emailed Cole just to be like, oh, I heard about this night. Can I perform? <laughs> and uh, yeah, luckily someone had dropped out. And so here I am. So you're all very lucky. <laughs> you're not. This is like, I've never performed this. I've actually, this is my second reading ever. Um, <laughs> you're so nice. And my first one was on Friday, so. <laughs> um, okay, this is a story about uh, panicking on Instagram stories. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it, and I feel like it's quite relatable. Um, my flatmate's always on her phone. We all know someone like that. Even while I'm sitting with her watching TV, she's watching her Instagram stories. How many does she watch? I can't tell you. I feel like she just wants it to be over as soon as she starts. We're watching a film I've seen before, so I grab my phone and I start to do the same. But I realize too late that the profile queued next is the girl that I fancy. I don't want her knowing I'm watching her stories. Do I? I don't think so. I look over at my flatmate, who's, no s who's now staring at me, attempting to swipe away from my Instagram stories in a panic. She realizes what's happening and panics too. This makes me panic more. After a few seconds of panicking and screaming, a few things have happened. One, I've watched her Instagram stories. Two, I've accidentally swiped up and sent a love heart about a plate of food. Three, I sent the letter N about a photo of her friend. There's a long silence. Both of us staring, frozen in times, mouths wide open as I'm clutching my phone and it continues to go through everyone else's Instagram stories. My flatmate bursts out laughing. I look at her with the purest form of horror and pain, <laughs> as if I'd just given birth and the child wasn't a child but a large piece of Lego. Even <laughs> 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 I found that funny. I don't know why I laughed at my own joke, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she looks at me and laughs harder. I see what she's doing. She's trying to do that thing in films when something terrible happens, 
one person starts laughing, the other follows, there's a cutscene and there's a wedding. <laughs> but there's no cutscene and I refuse to laugh. I've made the biggest mistake of my life. No, not that haircut from 2009, it's this. She's not gonna date me. We won't have a meet cute. She won't fall in love with me. If anything, this might help you move on, my flatmate says in between chuckles. Sure, I sigh. It won't, by the way, because now I'm gonna check to see if she's seen it and wait for her response. What I've actually done is start a potential conversation, despite the lack of an actual conversation. There's a scope there for her to speak to me. My flatmate goes out to, as she puts it, actually speak to people, and I spend the rest of the day checking my Instagram. I put on the US office, this will distract me, I think, naively, well aware that my phone is still in my hand and my thumb hovering over Instagram. I put my phone down, but five minutes later, I treat myself for good behavior. Instagram takes so long to open. Why is it taking so long to open? This is longer than usual. It's usually open by now. Did she ask Instagram to restrict my profile because I'm being a weird stalker? My Instagram loads. I hurriedly go to my messages. She's seen the message, but she hasn't replied. Oh God. I put my phone down. I tell myself I see those typing dots appear, so I look at it again. There's no typing dots, she isn't saying anything, and it still says, seen. I'm the most embarrassing person to have existed. I hate myself. You hate me. Yes, you. I can feel your whole bloody body clenching over this. Should I unfollow her? No, that's extreme. I should just put my phone away. I mean, there's room to start typing another message and send her something else. Maybe an exclamation, uh, an explanation. And I've pressed send. Wait, what's happened? Haha, <laughs> -ha, sorry, that doesn't make sense. My finger slipped when I was going through Instagram stories. What have I done? I stare at the message. When did I even write this? Why are there so many exclamation marks? Is there a part of me that wants to destroy my life? Am I possessed with a demon that's trying to fuck with me? I'm still staring at my phone when it says, seen. I throw my phone across the room and curl up in my dressing gown. I groan loudly, then I sigh for a while, and then I start groaning again. I don't think I'm built to have a crush on someone. Despite the pain I'm putting myself through, I think I need some more. So I grab my phone and open Instagram. There's a message. Probably not from her though, right? I mean, what if it says, please leave me alone? It doesn't. It says, ha ha, no worries. What now? <laughs> I mean, just leave it, right? Put your phone away. You're being an idiot. Who wants to be an idiot? No one. No one wants to be an idiot. And I've pressed send. I look at my phone. The food looks good though, where did you go? Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> that pesky demon inside of me is having the time of his life. <laughs> Scene. Oh my God, this is a conversation. She's reading my messages. I stare, grinning at my phone, waiting for a reply. I screenshot the conversation and send it to my flatmate with, uh, looks like we're gonna fall in love after all. <laughs> <laughs> This is true life. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I said that at the start, but this is true life. Okay. 
A few minutes have passed. She's read it, but she isn't replying. I mean, it's a question asking about food. Oh, God, was she being polite? Am I forcing a conversation on her? Am I being a dickhead? There's been so many times people have replied to my Insta stories and I reply out of politeness and hope the conversation just ends. And I realize that's what she's doing. She's not into me at all. Why would she be? Who's interested in someone who has an anxiety attack over sending an Instagram story? My flatmate replies, oh my God, what happened? I'm so embarrassed. Why did I send that screenshot? Oh, nothing. I think she's being polite. I say, pretending to take hold of my anxiety. My flatmate says, come out, we're going for food. She knows what I need. I need to leave the house. I need to speak to people in real life. They can't just yell scene at me mid-conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I get dressed and I leave the house, putting on a new playlist, refusing to open Instagram. We go to an Italian restaurant and I take a photo of my food and I upload it to Instagram stories. <laughs> my flatmate looks at me and smiles and I smile back at her. Three different people reply, yum. A love heart. Where is this? I share her and laugh. There's an expectation to have connections with just anyone when you can send unlimited messages, but that doesn't mean that they deserve anything from you. I realize that only when I disconnect from that world and spend time with those I choose, I value them, I value them more. They mean more. I mean, I still have my crush, but I don't have any expectations. Not until the next accidental message, anyway. Thank you. Thank you, you're amazing. Our final performer of the evening was Kyla Jamison. Kyla is a poet who grew up in Squamish before it was cool and now gratefully relies on unceded Coast Salish territories. Kyla's first chapbook, Kind of Animal, was released by Rahila's Ghost Press in 2019, and her first collection, Body Count, will be released by Nightwood Editions in 2020. Here's Kyla. I'm not good at the mic thing, so I really appreciate the help. Yeah, thank you. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Cole, for having me. Um, there's so many of you here, and I can see you all because I'm wearing my glasses. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but you're all very close together. Is that okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> you guys are okay with that? You're just, yeah, I, I can't do it. Um, I, got, I got a concussion two years ago, um, and so, like, crowds make me really dizzy, and I can't really do noise. Um, so... I have come to this event once, <laughs> but I did have a dream that I was reading here, and then I told Cole about it, and he said I could read, so this is actually a dream come true. <laughs> um, so because concussions and um, post-concussion syndrome that last two years are like really lovely things, I decided to do what we do with happy things in our lives, and I made a chapbook about it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so um, I'm just going to read a few of the poems um, that I wrote sort of like in the immediate aftermath of the concussion. Um, I lost my short-term memory and my peripheral vision, so I wasn't allowed to drive, obviously. Um, but I wrote like a lot of post-it notes to remind myself like why I was at the grocery store. <laughs> 
Um, and I also started putting together these poems. Um, so I wrote this poem about five months after my concussion um, when I was still super light and sound sensitive. So it's called In Exile, I Draw the Tower Card. When I injured my brain, it was barely spring. Now it is mid-October and getting up at 11 is a big accomplishment. Last month, I counted the 500 extra hours I spent sleeping in this new state where sunlight augurs pain. I lose simple thoughts before I can finish them and feel lonely without my mind. I'm always asking whoever I'm talking to, what was I saying? When everyone went back to school, I stayed home, stopped having goals, stopped dreaming of putting my body in a body of water. I tried to edit what I wrote and was bad at it, the kind of bad trying harder can't fix. I felt useless and alive. I watched the doctor type prognosis unknown and let hope ghost me. Remind me where the soul lives, how to tell body from mind. Ups and downs, I say, when asked if I'm recovering. In crowds, I get dizzy and sweat from the noise and movement of bodies around me. I'm a woman who holds her head slightly off center, always comes alone, is relearning most things, where to begin. I don't know if other poets would agree with me, um, but I tend to think of a poem as a mood, um, and I try to finish a poem like while I'm in a mood. Um, so this one, because it's spring, or I don't know if we're like, I feel like the cherry blossoms are dead because Cole said that, <laughs> um, but it's still spring, so I'm gonna read you a spring poem. Um, I wrote this about a year after my concussion. I need a poem. Can we talk about the moon tonight? Low and full in the baby blue sky. Brigitte at my door, the sound of her laugh and well-loved heart. I want to be held up like that. I need a poem about happiness that I haven't written yet. An ode to the ducks in my neighbor's pool. Another for the pink magnolias of spring. Some trees make it look so easy. Yes, I can hold all this beauty up. <laughs> um, I forgot to tell you before I started how many poems I would read. I like it when people do that, so I know like how long I have to pay attention. Um, this is the last part of a poem that I'm gonna read, and it's long. And like this poem, so like getting a concussion is like a form of trauma, and um, part of like recovering from it has been to sort of like work through other trauma. So this poem, like, the beginning of it is just all about like the awful shit that's happened in my life. Um, you know, like having a female body, it's super fun. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm just gonna read like the last couple of pages of this poem. Um, one thing that happened with a concussion is that I have a really hard time reading. So I was like in grad school for writing, I was like, can I be like a writer who can't read? <laughs> Um, and I, that's definitely why I did poetry for my thesis, because the lines are really short, so like it's easier to follow them. Um, so this poem is titled Future Body Self-Portrait. 
And this is just um, from about halfway through. Cut off from reading, I browse the internet of my being. I see more people while asleep than awake. It is true that I am lonely and in need. For example, I need to see at least one person I love each day. Has illness made me more or less human? I feel small and vast at the same time. I am desperate and very much alive. It occurs to me that I've used the word alive more than pain in these poems, and I'm not going to change it. Besides, they're almost the same thing, alive and in pain. I'm speaking plainly, but it's poetry. Look how time and space bend. I'm summoning my future body and a new can lit. You know what I mean, and it matters to me. The moon app says, I still believe in peace. So do I. This morning in bed, Jeremy said, I know it's not true, but the whole world feels good right now. It is good, I said, and not because I'm naive. I have no interest in dishonesty or distance. You came here for a kind of truth, and I want to give you everything. I know almost nothing I can prove. I can't earn a wage and can barely read, but I truly believe our flesh vessels can hold both joy and pain. I won't argue hope with the hopeless. My testimony is simple. I'm a mess of statistics, and I still want to live. That's it. Thank you. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks again to all of the performers. Man Eater, the Lido for having us. Matt Crisco for recording us. CITR for playing us. And you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with Man Eater's Waste.
You've been listening to Fine on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory at the University of British Columbia.